This episode of the Front Lounge Podcast with Congus is brought to you by Congus and their tour. The 1929 tour kicks off in January 2019. Head to slash shows to get your tickets and VIP packages now. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Front Lounge. This is episode, what is it? 35. 35. We have a very special guest, the um, mythical Nick Morgulis. You've heard us, him talked about on this podcast before as Gulis. He's one of the cameramen for Bus Call, but he's also a person in himself. <laughs> Nick, welcome. How you doing, man? Hey, thanks so much for having me. <laughs> That's the um, most official I've ever heard you sound. Uh, we were we were in the studio today, and you're also on a shoot today here in LA. And uh, I was going to text you to to like send me over a cheat sheet of all your greatest hits of your credits and stuff like that, but I didn't have time. So <laughs> tell us what you've done. You've worked on a lot of stuff. Like what the, you most recently worked on a series with uh, Justin Long, right in Florida. Justin Long, correct? Yeah. <laughs> no, but yeah. Uh, okay, cool. What do, Nick Morgulis, the filmmaker? What have I done? <laughs> so. Um, Really interested in documentaries, so I've done several feature-length documentaries. One that um, is in post now. I uh, spent f- five years following a, a single dad with a teenage nonverbal autistic son. That's a very exciting documentary that is coming out uh, in the next few months. Uh, with a lot of time put into that. Yeah, where is, I'm, it, where I is remember it coming out? Uh, not sure yet, but we've no, you know we've it. been sort of shopping it okay. around and all the big names that you've heard of are interested. So that's exciting, you know, after spending so much time. So like Daily Motion. Daily Motion. uh, (laughs) Funny or uh, die. Live leak. Daily Mail. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so, but recently, um, yeah, so always love documentaries. Recently, it's sort of the celebrity name projects that I've done. Did a web series with Justin Long called The Real Stephen Blatt. Uh, that uh, premiered on Funny or Die, had, I don't know, 5, 10 million views on it. Then it was on Amazon Prime. Uh, that's te- uh, Justin Long playing like a social, like a social media fame-obsessed uh, like teenager. Like an influencer, right? What's that? Uh, an influencer? An influencer, yeah. yeah it's yeah, like yeah. this nerdy 14-year-old gets yeah. an iPhone for Christmas and immediately becomes... You know, a piece of shit little kid <laughs> divorces from his parents, buys I, a Maserati. I think I followed him on Instagram or the character on Instagram. Yeah, it was pretty funny because he would he'd also update his Instagram. He still beard. does it a oh, lot. Yeah, he still that. like loves that character, and you know, it's it was a lot of fun working with him and his brother Christian Long. They're like a duo. Huh. Um, so we then we did uh, from that project. I did uh, produced a pilot for a TV show that he sold to. Sony's TV division. It was about uh, sort of an Anthony Weiner style politician who gets uh, disgraced. What does that mean? A, a Weiner's Anthony Weiner style. A Weiner style. style politician. What is that? <laughs> Nobody under, you don't know what that means. So Anthony Weiner's a New York politician. No, I know. I, I know Anthony Weiner, but I just I want to know what you meant by like a guy who takes photos oh, of his dick and tweets no, them. No, or no, no, no. Not going to get into it. But long story short. He gets in a lot of trouble. Someone films a cell phone video of him saying the wrong thing out of context. All hell breaks loose. Um, he's in his home, throwing up on himself, eating pizza, drinking vodka, yelling at the mailman. Uh, <laughs> then he... Uh, it sounds, know, this sounds like a documentary, not a, not a yeah. sitcom. Or then, <laughs> this is still Justin Long? This is still Justin Long, yeah. Like long story short would be a great name for a series. Long story short. I've got to call him. <laughs> 
But uh, yeah, and then he just cut us in. And then he becomes tries to become the mayor of his hometown in Connecticut. So that was cool. Got to work with him two times. Is it kind of veepish? Is it kind of like you know Veep is just yes? It's like Veep, sinking ship. The whole show is just a perpetual. Maybe like Parks and Rec too. It's Mm -hmm. like small time, small town government sort of thing. Is this a TV show? It's a TV show. how How many episodes? It never got made. Oh. But, we, that, but, but he sold it to in, him. I mean, I, you hear <laughs> this a lot, like, where yeah. people sell pilots or they sell scripts. And, like, the the obstacle to going from a pilot or a script to a finished series is so enormous, isn't it? Of course, yeah. You know, I think uh, people get interested in it, and then they've got their own timetables. They've got their own schedules. They've got their own writers, their own sort of, you know, goals. And they're trying to sort of put your project into their mold which yeah. might not necessarily be what you want I mean, we just Luke his son to... was trying to fund fifth element whose and son luke's uh, luke's besson oh. luke besson the the french director he was trying to he was trying to get the um funding for fucking uh, fifth element and he couldn't do it so he had to shoot another movie to for uh the studio so he shot leon well, you he, also, he wrote it in 30 days and shot it. Leon so, the Professional? Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's a classic. Yeah, I know. He did it. And this was, he, but he, if you watch it now, it's really weird, right? It's creepy. Well, it was even weirder. It was like uh, the script was, was way mm. worse. Yeah. He, uh, there's a lot of people that seem to do that, like just do the money projects and for the pro- uh, projects they actually want to do. But then there's a lot of people that don't do that. They just do the shitty movies. Mm. Well, you know, like, you let, like Ethan Hawke, every now and then, he does a weird movie that just looks really crap. Mm-hmm. And you can almost see it. Like He's like, oh, he needs to raise a bunch of money. Yeah, he's even said that money. in an interview. He's like, I just, or he said at one point, he's like, I'm just sick of running around with a gun. <laughs> yeah, well, Sofia Coppola made a movie with him a few years ago that was like his breakout movie. It's like, where's Ethan Hawke been? Mm-hmm. Uh, the, w- the one where he's like, in the, he's like in a, no, he's like in an LA hotel with his daughter. Who's he's like a celebrity that doesn't ever see a really good example of it. Have you seen this Netflix show that just came out, The Kaminsky Method, with um, Michael Douglas and Alan Arkin? I started watching it. The guy, it's really good actually. And the guy who wrote it wrote The Big Bang Theory, The Big Bang Theory, (laughs) which is is fucking terrible. But back to Ethan Hawke. <laughs> he's done, I've got three Ethan Hawke things real quick. In the last year, he's had an amazing movie that he's in called Preacher Something. Yeah. Amazing movie. Everyone loves Reformation it. Reformation or something? Reformation, yeah. thank you. Uh, he directed one about a country singer that's like this jailbird guy that never wanted fame but was awesome then died. Also, people love it. Then I saw him at a PetSmart <laughs> two weeks ago as I was buying fish for my fish tank and uh, yes I'm a fan of fish tanks a fish or fish you can oh okay yeah uh, what kind of fish have you so got? wait you, so he directed a movie he was in a critically acclaimed movie all and in, you storm at a pet store yeah all in the <laughs> 12 months yes all in the last 12 months what was he like, I would love to see local news intro him as recently spotted at a pet store <laughs> he had a little like uh sort of mutt dog which is great he adopted it he was with like a teenage guy maybe a son maybe someone else and he was giving the guy notes on his short film I think so that's cool like he where was on this his day Brooklyn? off Brooklyn PetSmart yeah no, that's where you're from, right? Yes, I live in Brooklyn, yeah. New York. <laughs> we we skipped over everything about Ghoulas and just yeah. got straight into Ethan but, but, Hawk. Yeah, but let me quickly sum up the pro- other projects that I've done sure, recently. Yeah. So um, 
I'm here in LA right now because I produced uh, a pilot of another TV show called Sweet Jane, directed and written by Dylan McDermott. It's about human trafficking, and the goal is to, you know, shed light on this uh, subject that affects millions of people around the world, and is probably one one of these like sort of old world sort of slavery is the best way to describe it, but it's you know not yeah. better or worse. It is slavery. Um, that happens in the modern modern world, and it happens all around us. And where you live in Los Angeles, where I live in New York, where I went to college in Sarasota, freaking fifty thousand people in that town. There's busts all the time for, uh, you know, like literally like bro- is, brothels with people. What is it port related? I have no freaking idea. Maybe because it's close to my yeah, Miami. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe oh no, money. People with money that will pay. $500 to also let's talk about this later. We're going to do this, um, a segment called hot takes, deep cuts. We're going to talk <laughs> about philosophy and sort of things that we're thinking about in the Have world. Have you listened right to now. our podcast before? Uh, yes. <laughs> Not every single one. No, okay. I listen to the, you, you, you took our deep our, thought uh, segment yeah, and you just it, renamed it. it for, cuts, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you made it more vinyl. Yeah. Hot takes and deep cuts. Yeah, but it is human trafficking. He wants is, to make it like, film related. You hear some of these uh, numbers themed. on human trafficking, and you you can't wrap your head around them because they sound it's so insane about the amount of people that are shipped. Yep. Yeah, and even beyond, um, you know, the, in North America, the United States, I believe it's more related to sort of people like that, sex trafficking. Sex, you know, people that run away from home are down on their luck, don't really have the means to take care of themselves, and someone tries to help them. And then tricks them and becomes their pimp sort of captor. You know, I'm sure there's a million different situations and it's terrible there's all the way around. But all over the world, people are being tricked into taking maid jobs or teacher jobs. People from Africa are taking jobs in the Middle East or from Asia taking jobs in the Middle East to be, um, you know, maids or whatever and then turn into victims. Yeah, and, they take uh, their passports away. Yeah. We were just talking about this this morning, completely unrelated to you because... I always see these signs, and I think I've brought up in the podcast before, like driving under the 101 freeway here, and it's absolutely shitty underpass covered in like trash and just shit. And there's always these signs in handwritten like paint that says, learn real estate, 25000 a month. And it's like people advertising 25000 a month is a good job in like basically in shit written on the wall. And we, I've always wondered about that. And I was talking with someone and I have no idea whether this is clue or not, uh, true or not. And I don't even think Colton could fact check me on this, but I heard that it was basically code for some kind of trafficking like uh, thing that there are these, they put up these things. It says, call this number for that. And it, I, I don't know whether it's for to try and dupe people into coming into a meeting or whether it's like, here's who you call to, Partake this in amazing this. fucking wow. real estate agent who There's, just has no sense of that. That doesn't make any sense. I know, to be does, advertising yeah. a job that's a six-figure, yeah, right, that, yeah. yeah, six-figure job under a freeway pass written in like scribbles. Yeah, right, yeah. Uh, it's it's a scam of some sort. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, like the Nigerian prince email. There's a lot of spelling errors because anyone who catches those. Yeah, they obviously they're won't they're get duped. Out people yeah. that are smart or huh. have half a brain. Hmm. I never thought of that as intentional. That Let, let's. Sense. Why don't we do a little uh, backtrack and talk about how we met and yes, um, of course, you know how we work together, and yeah. then we can get into your deep cut history and all this. <laughs> yeah, <stuff. laughs> let's do it. Wait, hold on. Are you doing? Didn't you do a project with Kevin Smith? 
Okay, let's, yes. Let me quickly sum it up. Self-promotion, <laughs> nickmorghouls.com. <laughs> yeah, I, I produce, lead producer of a Kevin Smith feature film. Um, you know, top 20, top 30 most famous directors in the world right now. Uh, produced a film for him called Kilroy Was Here. It's a horror. Um, stars a lot of the people that are in the Kevin Smith universe. Jason Mewes, a lot of people that have been in his other movies. And it's about, uh, I guess, a Vietnam veteran who uh, was sent to a mental institution, uh, burned alive in a fire, and then a demon jumped in his body, and now he terrorizes Sarasota, Florida, while also protecting children. <laughs> so wait, how did, you, like how did this project... Two questions. First part, was this before or after he had his heart attack, Kevin Smith? Before and after. Oh. Kevin Smith is a busy guy, and we filmed this movie over three uh, different periods, one week at a time, and uh, over the span of a year and a half, we created this feature film. So Sarasota comes up a lot. in the middle. Sarasota comes up a lot with you. You, you have connections to that place, right? Is, is there a specific reason that so much film stuff happens there? Is it the school, or is there tax yes. breaks, or what? So... Florida does not have a tax break, a tax uh, rebate, the, like Georgia and Louisiana and other states that have great incentives to bring work there. Think about it. If you're going to put invest a million dollars in a movie, yeah. and if you're going to get 20% back, you're going to get $200,000 back if you do your movie in Georgia compared to Florida. Right. You know, or something else, you know, I saw, Kentucky. Pe- I saw a bunch of actors and writers and stuff were trying to boycott Georgia because of some local politician who got... Elected, oh, or, wow. And they're saying, we're not going to shoot movies there. And I, I was like, what, hmm. what? I didn't... At first, I was like, oh, the well, new, who's threatening the, this random maybe, state with not shooting a movie? And I didn't realize this is tax incentives. That's, oh, yes. So, Ringling College of Art and Design in the small town of Sarasota, Florida, which is actually founded pretty much by... Um, John Ringling, the circus baron, he created one of the first monopolies. He bought up with his brothers all of the other circuses. So let's go back in time. There was no entertainment. There's no theaters. I don't even know if radio exists. People live, are born and die within freaking 20 miles of their rural town. But as long as they live near a train track, the circus can go there. And rural people all over America, the circus was the freaking coolest thing that happens their whole lives. So circus is a huge commodity, huge commerce, buys up every freaking circus, Ringling Brothers, Barnum, and Bailey. You know, but Barnum and Bailey and Ringling would buy up other small circuses and then just, they would just disappear, they would just uh, dissolve them. So... John Ringling builds a huge mansion in Sarasota, Florida, builds a museum to house his work, works of art. He was the richest man in the world in like 1915. He owns like the, the value of the work in this museum on his property is uh, valued over a over billion dollars if it was sold. So he creates this community, uh, gets all of his friends from New York to go down there, builds all the roads, all the electricity, all the infrastructure as this coastal uh, resort town uh, builds this school for all the wives of the wealthy businessman to take up art and uh, 100 years later this is like a cutting edge technologically advanced art school every year um, you know Disney and DreamWorks hires a lot of the computer animators and I was very lucky enough back to your question to be of the second graduating class when the school decided to start a film department 
so I gr- I went to college there 2008 to 2012 and um you know since then the college has grown a lot they've Do built they still have the elephant beating 101 no it's a non-circus <laughs> school um that's a funny question um, <laughs> no. but yeah so this college is awesome um they've been they've invested a lot of money in gear they built a 20,000 square foot soundstage and uh, just three days ago uh, had the ribbon cutting of a state-of-the-art post facility, which will do all audio, all music, you know, all editing, yeah. color correction. And um, also they had this great thing going on where they would bring in celebrities to do Q&As at the college. And that happened a lot when, while I was a student. Looks great on paper. Students are always interacting with celebrities. Um, and then... This very intelligent, cool guy named David Shapiro had an idea to start doing projects with these celebrities. Mm. So that's when we did the first Dylan McDermott project and the Justin Long project. And me being sort of the, I don't know, star alumni, (laughs) you know, I was immediately tasked to DP and produce these projects. And DP stands for Director of Photography. <laughs> I see you looking at me, Colton. <laughs> so we really, this is the I one podcast I feel like we really needed cameras because yeah. <laughs> Gulas has so much physical I keep, subtlety and I'm like winking. Subtle Comedy. I'm using my eyebrows a yeah, lot. Yes. <laughs> so much physical comedy and like subtle physical comedy that it's, you you'd have to see it to kind of get well. I was going to say, you know, um, we've talked about you on the podcast several times. Um, wow. Some of it's, some of it's kind of Positive? trashing you. Some of it's so, oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> but, but most of it, most, the most common thing to come up is the people who got to know you either by being with you or by watching your footage came to think that you were one of the funniest people they'd ever met or known. And I was hoping by over the course of this podcast that the audience would find that too. But it's a, it's like an acquired taste. Not an acquired taste. It takes a little uh, getting used to it. And this is where I think we should go back to how we met and stuff. <clears throat> but anyway, so to Dylan's point, his his hand gestures and his face and everything is like telling a totally different story than his audio. <laughs> so, yeah. so this really, you just have to Colton, imagine. Colton... You know, he did a lot of the dailies for um, yes, I heard going yes. through like all of the um, footage and marking and making notes and stuff. And what, what did you say recently? You're like, I think Goulis is probably like the funniest person I've never met. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's accurate. Definitely, <clears throat> you're competing with Mo too. Oh. So flashback to whatever, like 2014, maybe. Uh, you know, we we had just kind of started to make some waves. Uh, Come with me now. I was going up the charts at radio, and we had all these tours being booked and it was like our next nine months of our life was kind of set out you know overnight and we were putting our crew together the first time we were getting on a bus and um i think at that time my now wife rachel was living in new york and her roommate was a girl called brisa who was good friends with your now wife so anyway um everybody knew we were looking for a videographer that we wanted to capture stuff on the road Brees is like, hey, you should meet Nick. He, you know, he's always wanted to go <clears throat> go on the road with a band. You sent your reel, cool. We met, we hung out in New York that one night, and I shit you not, there was not one joke made. You didn't crack one smile. <laughs> you were like so serious. We, you know, we uh, we ended up working together. Then, then like five days into tour, six days into tour, the real Nick starts to come out. Well, I realized it, I was, you know. <laughs> 
I was already in. You couldn't fire me. You know, <laughs> like the for 40, first 48 hours, it's like, oh man, you know. He's a serious. When I first, He's serious. Yeah. When I first met Nick, it was backstage at, he came to Kimmel or one, some taping that we did. Mm. I don't know. Oh, yep. Seth Meyers, yep. something like that. And Jesse said, this is Nick. He's going to be coming out with us because you'd met him before. You'd met, you know, through your mutual friends. And I just remember distinctly thinking like, this is not necessarily going to work. He doesn't seem to like talk or he's, you he's fell very, asleep. You, <laughs> fell asleep. you fell asleep in the green room. Well, in the middle of the, your, uh, Sarah was talking to somebody or something like that, or Brisa or one of them. And you were sitting on the couch next to them. And they were obviously saying something incredibly boring. Cause you just passed out. Oh, well, I think it's because I was working at a bar yeah, that you, I worked at 5 PM till 6 AM. Yeah. You know, and this was probably at like 1 PM where I was seeing you guys. Yeah. I've heard multiple stories of you falling asleep at events where you shouldn't be. <laughs> I think I have something your, your hours are all flipped. Dark room narcolepsy. Like if it's mm-hmm. if it's dark and quiet, I just get sleepy. It's like womb syndrome. <laughs> I don't womb. know. Um, <laughs> dark womb. On that uh, the European tour, we have you. You were really into like Gran Turismo, right? And or uh, not Gran Turismo. Is that the name of it? What's the, the, the racing game? Yeah, I have a funny Auto? story about that, actually. Yeah. No, we have video of you playing the game and falling asleep in the middle of your run. And like we're all waiting to play. We were taking turns playing, you know. Yeah, yeah, rounds, that's fun. Yeah, yeah. Fell asleep right in the middle of it. And then we of looked, me yeah. playing, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but it's because you guys stayed up until six in the morning playing video games. <laughs> that's what rock and roll is. Yeah. I cut together a two-minute film of like just highlights of Nick talking about Gran Turismo. I learned more about cars on that tour from you talking about video game cars than I've ever known But the crazy cars. thing that I were, found remarkable was not that he was into playing the game because everyone on that tour played that game like kind of crazy, like obsessively. But Nick would spend half the time like kidding out the car. Like it was more about <laughs> And like it wouldn't be out the, the fast car. cars. I'd be kidding out <laughs> like a, yeah, like a like 1980s hatchback yeah, yeah, with 100 horsepower. So that's that another stuff, thing because yeah. you are obsessed with cars you really like cars yeah I really like basketball I really like cars <laughs> why do you like what got you into cars mm. um, I mean it's like a feat of like machinery right you've got an engine connected to wheels we're like literally like driving little rockets around and it's so easy to drive you would think that it would be more difficult for us to drive a car but it's so intuitive um yeah, just like going fast, I guess. My dad l- l- uh, taught me how to drive when I was like 10. He'd pretty much always let me drive home once we got off the main road. Mm-hmm. So from like 10 to 16, I was just waiting to get a driver's license. Um, and uh, yeah, and then... It sounds like a cold case just got solved. <laughs> and then I bought a bunch of cars. Like by the, from 16 to 18, I had owned six cars. I would buy cars and sell them. And I had a lot of cool, you know, I, would, I had a drift car. I had a Honda Civic um that i did some stuff yeah, the, too but the weird thing that so you were like that must have been when did tokyo drift come out was that the third fast and the furious with the different guy the guy from sling blade yeah nick for speed uh nick chicago drift yeah, <laughs> yeah. um well i, I just do like rem- cars yeah i do remember um in russia this last couple years ago when we went and you came out with us uh, number one, we'll get into that because you're you speak Russian, you you have Russian heritage, ah. and uh, that was super useful. And you're also a videographer, so uh, I I was tell every I told Logan and I told uh, some of the other guys about how much you knew about cars. So I picked some random car and we filmed, it and I was like, okay, so tell me about the 1998 
city golf or something and you told me the engine size you knew every fucking fact about it and i just literally plucked some i didn't even know if it was a real car and <laughs> he, did, he did, didn't just do that he said well what what version or what model are you talking about? <laughs> but I've, there's i've noticed there's two there's a maybe more than there's probably more than two kinds of car people but it's your i've met other car people just like you in terms of their taste which is always like those 90s hatchbacks or that kind of thing, you know, like the Golfs or the Honda hatchbacks or whatever they are. I think it's about p- like pure, simple engineering. We appreciate that you could feel the, the road through the steering wheel, that they were easy to work on, that, you know, cars now are very complicated. Is it also because they're individualized more than other cars where they're not so elaborate that people, f- like, they fuck with them? Yeah, and you don't want to be a fan of the five most popular, for, you know, Do you like cars. that show? Do you watch um, Jerry Seinfeld's? Comedians and cars. I just started watching that uh, because my wife recommended it. My wonderful, amazing wife, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> she's so cool, guys. You think she's going to listen to this? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe. But she works for a company called New York City Children's Theater. They bring uh, plays and really cool uh, educational pl- theater to, I think, like 500 schools in New York City. Huh. She also works for a company called um, Action she's Play. Off- she's offsetting your karma yeah. balance. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they do uh, musical theater uh, for with uh, teens and young adults on the autism spectrum, and they have this amazing band that helps them write music. And the kids are so smart, and you know, come up with the the craziest, coolest freaking uh, musicals and and lyrics and stories. Do have, yeah, do they have to write music or perform music in a specific way for people, like so that it doesn't disturb them. Uh, people with autism. Yeah. It, I mean, well, it's, there's a range, I guess, of how every, everyone's different. Right. Yeah. But sure, some people have, are affected by loud noises and things like that. But um, so your wife sounds like literally your better half. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean we've met her a lot of times, and she is definitely better, nicest, coolest person. <laughs> All right. All right. Let's well, I'm glad we, we got the disclaimers we out there. <laughs> Um, all right, so I didn't even fucking know where we Does are. Does she this. know are about we... your family in Los Angeles? <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't know. I, you, I, I'm blown away by those two or three family stories. Like pilots, apparently pilots have uh, lots of multiple mm. families because they got they're stuck on a on a route. Well, that's an easy one to explain away because they're constantly traveling. It's the right. people that don't have those kinds of jobs that manage to actually manage two families. doesn't right. make sense. I mean, there's tons of people with multiple families, but the, one, the people who keep two families separate, and then the kids are like 14 when they find out dad's got another whole other family. It's crazy. It's a lot of work. Yeah, they should be commended, these. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> these Father of the, the year. Like Fathers over, of the yeah. year. I mean, in too deep, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> There's no way out now. Yeah. Um, all right. So where are we in this podcast? I I really don't know what we've lost. About how we met? And I was in oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So so we uh, so Nick came on the road with us, and um, he shot basically just had a camera in his hands the whole time. Um, and we went all over the world pretty much together. We spent the first few months in America and Canada going around, and then we flew. We had fly gigs. We went to Mexico. We went to um, Europe. Uh, I, can't even rem- I can't remember. Yeah. yeah so, so on this, yeah, on the, more recently, and then Russia. I find that kind of unusual, you know, to, to meet somebody um, and then within a very short space of time spend 
a shitload of time together in all different places. You know, you kind of get to know each other real quick, and especially you're sleeping in bunk beds like three inches from each other. <laughs> yeah, well, was that for your first time on the road touring? Um, on a tour bus, yes, but um, I had van, van I had van toured for about two three months with a great indie band called the Spring Standards. Yeah, I remember looking at the in, when at your reel that was in your yes because yeah. yeah I met you guys at the Viper whatever it was called Viper Cobra Room for the Sony like release or uh, signing Mer- Mercury, 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 yeah. Mercury Land, yeah. and um, and then th- yeah and I you know and then I think that night I went and edited yeah, that yeah. footage so I could send it to you okay yeah so it's not it wasn't it wasn't like a completely new experience to be on the road it was just the bus aspect of it that was different but that's the bus but i was thinking change. about it that it was new to you guys yeah but no matter how many times you guys told me that it was your first time i still felt like you guys were uh had done this before and i was the new guy yeah but it really it took me like a week to realize that, wait, all of us are doing this right, it was only, right. for only the first Mick, time. Basically, and Tiny Bit Stripes, you know, he'd done some touring, but only Mick had been touring for 15 years, basically. But he time. was also one of the cra- like meeting Mick for the first time, not for the first time. Well, also, I had no idea how old he was. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. I thought, right, you because know. Because when he talks about his career, because he's been doing yeah. it for so long, you're like, hey, is he like 65 or something like that? Because he's been touring for 20 years. You know, like how long has he been doing? This? We started when he was 15. Yeah. But yeah, I remember one night after like um, first, like we met in uh, Texas or California. Then we went to an Indian restaurant. Tulsa. 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 Yeah. We went to an Indian restaurant that first night. Yeah. Mm. Um, Typical. And then, um, yeah, as, at one point in the first few days, Mick was like basically like breaking it all down to, to Mo and me. And he's like, listen, you motherfuckers, like <laughs> you have to snap into shape. Like, you know, he's basically like realizing, okay, this tour has just started. What, what are the things that need, we need to f- not fix, but what do we need to streamline? Yeah. And I was like, dude, I c- I'm not doing any of this. Like, <laughs> yeah, you, you realize like, I'm not going to help you with any of this. Like, I- <laughs> like I'm, is- I'm a cameraman. <laughs> there was a good three months that Mick was very frustrated and rightfully so because everybody was so green, you know, I mean, particularly with the crew. And it took a while for him to understand why we, knew Mo was so important to the crew. Like his initial thought was like, why don't we just hire people that know what they're doing? Like, I don't need to be training these people. Now, obviously Mick and Mo are great friends and, you know, he understands how important Mo is because it's not just about like, how do you plug in a guitar? Like, you know, it's more about the psychology and the friendship of it. But yeah, I would just remember sometimes Mick going like, fucking hell, these... Everyone was green. We had uh, Mo, you know, hadn't toured uh, Derek doing merch had never been on tour before like it was his first time doing merch uh chris is like played in a couple bands that was about it mm. you know but i Danny think- had to tell me to put on autofocus when i was <laughs> taking photos i was like no i like using manual he's like but they're all out of focus <laughs> <laughs> that was that's a famous that's a famous line of yours is to after the show come up and say i probably got 500 <laughs> great photos maybe a hundred amazing photos and probably like 30 or 40 just works of art <laughs> and then we'd go through them and we'd be like all right we got one or two good ones here <laughs> the time we almost killed you remind me 
<laughs> the first time we almost killed yeah, yeah. you was we played Corona Capital Festival in Mexico City. Okay. And it is still to this day, other than maybe Lollapalooza Brazil, the best show we've ever played in terms mm -hmm. of crowd reaction. Yeah. And there's these epic moments that we managed to find or salvage. Because it would get to like the well, big chorus. We, we, want, we were shooting a music video for I Wanna Know, and so we wanted the, the show captured, especially on that song, so that we could pull from different shows and cut mm -hmm. together a live music video. So I just want to set the scene for that show a little bit to, it, to, cut, you, to cut you some slack. Because <laughs> remember we had done, I think we did four shows in four days in four different states or countries. So it mm -hmm. was like fly gig fly gig no days off yeah. no sleep yeah so we've played in riverside then we played in fresno then we flew to mexico then we flew to austin literally getting on a plane with without sleeping in a bed really so we arrived in mexico that morning and we were playing in a couple hours everyone was fucking wiped out no, no one could even open their eyes and we get on stage and it was the most amazing crowd you could imagine and everyone's hair stood on it and like everyone is like got so amped and we had this amazing show we came off stage and then it's like you know did you get that and you're like oh, i think i hope i took the lens cap off you know <laughs> oh yeah no but the crowd went into the horizon like it literally the crowd yeah. just went into a yeah. blurry thing that just ended on the horizon i yeah, couldn't it's like, see it's like the video game rendering stopped so Are fast forward like three months to editing the video and we're we have this memory of the show and we're like we're gonna mexico city's gonna be fucking amazing and we start looking at the footage and we start to realize holy shit he was as amped by the crowd as we were and you didn't stay on one shot for more than like three seconds. <laughs> you were like yeah. racing around the, sh the, the stage. Like, I got to get this angle. I got to get this angle. I got this angle. But and the time it, in between the shots is you can't use. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, it worked out fine. But at, at the time, I was like, fuck, just I needed two more seconds on that <laughs> shot. <laughs> yeah. I think what it, what it was is that that was like the first show I feel like that we played where everyone actually saw a total a totally changed crowd, you know, a totally different scenario and situation that we've ever been in. Because we were playing little clubs, we were playing little... Uh, I had seen big venues. crowds at, like, uh, summer festivals, yeah. but they weren't losing their shit yeah. for you, you know, the second that you right. came it's, out. Right, you're yeah. kind of playing to a lot of cold crowds, and then all of a sudden this thing comes along, and everyone's just, what the fuck is happening? Yeah. That was the first well, time. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was the craziest travel of, of ever, I think. Those yeah. four days. Yeah. We even considered frying, f frying, flying private <laughs> um, because we couldn't make one of the things. And it actually made sense financially to go private for one leg. Man, we could have got one of those fucking Instagram pics. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Walking off a private jet with... It, it doesn't you actually... Photoshop that. Yeah, yeah. It's just one. like a small... C if you hit Much the, cheaper. <laughs> if you hit the lottery, I'd much rather fly first class on a proper plane. Like you have to... A lot of times when people fly private, it's actually just a really tiny, small little thing, like a cramped thing, just to say yeah, it's private. Keep, keep downplaying it, Joe. It's, like, it's not like it's like I'd hate to fly it's private. Like a televangelist. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't even like the plane, but I just can't you know, be attacked because my fingers are so sensitive. And you see, if Jesus didn't want me to spread my word as quickly as possible around the world. I wouldn't need a private plane. What we should do is uh, we should start photoshopping us in front of pri private jets like over and make it an Instagram series and only our podcast listeners will know that it's <laughs> fake. <laughs> so um, have you been on tour since then? Or since, uh, when was it, Russia that we were in? 
Like with another band? Yeah, or no. in between? Did you go on any other tours? No. No. It's like, I'm never doing that again. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't, th- it would, if someone, at, like another band for some reason asked me, like, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I would do like a short stint. Yeah. Yeah. If it was enough money, but yeah, honestly, yeah, like other, in, yeah. I don't want to get, you know, you don't want a jealousy to creep up in this monogamous relationship. I just, no, I mean, you guys are pretty nice, you know, and like, I feel like other bands are not nice to their videographers. So I think I lucked out, right? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I, I know that um, I don't really know any other videographers. I know Young the Giant, when they had their guy out, David, he was super nice, and they all were good friends. But yeah, I think but there, it is, it's there rare. Is, there is like a separation between yeah, everyone always, especially when they get to a stage, there's this separation in their minds and their egos of band and crew or, you know director and crew or whatever i'm sure it probably exists on film sets too where it's like you know crew and is lower class citizens in some people's mind yeah know? i mean i love music i love bands bands are literally walking pop culture mm-hmm. so i think i'm interested in culture and um will definitely do want to keep doing things with you know music videos documentaries things like that but mm-hmm. tour videographer if that's the question yeah maybe <laughs> if it was like I don't know. <laughs> You're thinking of a number. One hundred million dollars. <laughs> I was thinking of the band, but I can't even think of the band. Uh, oh, <laughs> um, oh uh, holographic any, Tupac. You got any? Uh, <laughs> you got any uh, standout memories? You want? You know? Oh, for, <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> no, okay. So I mean, yeah, a lot of. Fu- that's what I should have been writing down, right? Before this is funny memories. Um, yeah, we, well, we used to have a segment called Member Berries, or now it's called yeah. When, but we. I mean, I, I had a lot of fun times with Mo. Mo's a great soul. He's an old soul, right? Mm. Yeah, you guys. You guys discovered that you're probably brothers. Yeah, we're uh, both it's Eastern European Ashkenazi Jews mixed with everything else in Europe. Yeah, is probably. it your family? My family is Ukrainian, from or from. What? Um, Lithuania? Is that, that where Mo's family is? Morgulis is a Lithuanian last name. Yeah. Mo's grandfather, yeah. who passed away while we were on tour, was Lithuanian. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, you guys, uh, I mean, look, yeah. you're not unique in thinking Mo's your brother because <laughs> everyone that meets him thinks that. But I, yeah. you guys did actually really. We were supposed really to be play. in a rap group called Frickin' Jelly Cat. <laughs> and I just remembered that, and I'm like so disappointed that we never. Jellycat? Why was it called Jellycat? Um, well, maybe you guys can do a one-night show. You in- can't talk about it? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't remember. When we play it's, ba- yeah, go Bowery ahead. Ballroom in New York, we can do a one-night-only one reunion. After like party. First and yeah. last final show of Jellycat. But it can only be the beats that I played while I was uh, doing number two in public <laughs> bathrooms. <laughs> uh, I was wondering if you wanted to bring that no, up. Let, no, so now you can <laughs> okay. tell the story. So this is one, this is one, one memory. <laughs> um, when we were opening for One Republic in Europe, we were playing all these arenas. And um, so the, all the dressing rooms were kind of sports locker rooms. So everything, all, all the bathrooms, everything was styled like a locker room. Uh, so... You know, ten guys or whatever, abandoned crew into in these locker rooms. Everything's there. They bring you know, you got food, you got your rider, and all the bathrooms and all the showers and everything. So, for like the longest time, Gulas was really uncomfortable going to the number, going for number two with like basically you're in earshot of the rest of the crew. 
So he would play hip hop songs on his iPhone every time he went to the toilet. <laughs> but I only had like 20 that I had downloaded off of a, a website. And they were all like. So anytime yeah, you start hearing, <laughs> hearing hip hop, we're like, oh, Goose is taking a shit. <laughs> and at that point, I think we'd already come up with the term 250. With, I, I get so many comments from people who know us or, um, you know, people on our crew that we didn't include the 250 rule in bus call and we really wanted to we just didn't have a great way to do it we didn't have mm. a great the footage or anything it seemed a bit like unnecessary also it's like you don't we didn't we didn't really want to get into Putty talking humor. about shit we have a great uh, clip that Goulas filmed in South Africa of Mo uh, at Opie Copy. you followed him around and he had his lav mic on and you followed him for like 20 minutes looking for a bathroom that you find porta potties and you're, oh and it was so gross yeah you're, you're like narrating the whole you know clip which we'll probably we'll cut that down it's super funny mo's really funny we'll try to see if we can come so up with an extended scene the 250 rule to recap is on our bus on on most buses uh, including ours you cannot take a shit in the toilet i mean you can but it's kind of a, a pain to clean the driver hates it and he'll either you know fine you or there's a cleaning fee whatever on our bus it was 250 dollars. so you know Especially with guests on the bus, you have to explain. That's like the first thing you tell anybody who gets on a tour bus. And it's counterintuitive because of the schedule, right? Yeah. yeah. You eat a big meal and then get on the freaking bus. Yeah. yeah. By the time I wake up, I'm, you know, dying yeah. to stop. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, so, so Mo came, so Mo at one point, Mo's like, that became code. He's like, we got to a hotel or whatever. He's like, all right, I'm going to go 250. And then from th- then on, 250 was code for taking a shit. Right. Because it's two hundred and fifty dollars, uh, it's solid waste. You ca- they can't just dump like uh, solid waste out into the drains. Where if it's Dave just Matthews can, you see, yeah. dumps it on the boat. How many pounds was it? Wasn't it a lot? It was, it was like yeah. five hundred gallons. And it was, and it, it, yeah, it was on, like, enormous. A, uh, One gallon is eight pounds. <laughs> Math. Wasn't it, it, wasn't it a boat? They were having like a cocktail party or something like that, or something like that. Yeah, it yeah. went. It was on a bridge. He, yeah. Dave Matthews tour bus dumped their tank, and it went. <laughs> fell on a boat passing under the bridge. This is not a joke. This is a real story. <laughs> what? 4,000. 4,000 pounds. Of shit? Was sh- of shit was dropped on the boat. Uh, we're going to have to verify that. That, that sounds like a sound right. crazy amount. Fucking <laughs> 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 bus of elephants. <laughs> <laughs> that is, like, we make fun of Nick for the, his Hip Hop 250, but... That is like a thing that most people, myself included, it takes a long, not a long time, it takes a minute to get used to just that. You Like every, most people have a normal job or a normal life where they have their own bathroom. And if, even if it's an office bathroom, like it's relatively civilized. You go out on tour and it's just all bets are off and you get over that quickly. And it's, I'm glad we actually did because you can be really finicky and like, a bit of a baby, basically, your whole life about, oh, I can't go, this is public toilets, gross, and this and that. I used to not gross. be able to eat in public bathrooms, but now... <laughs> I know, but the floors me. are way cleaner now <laughs> because of, like, chemicals have changed, maybe. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird existence, basically, that going out on the road. Like, yeah. Like, when I see a truck driver now in a truck stop brushing his teeth in a truck stop, that used to really... Gross you go me lucky. Out. You get to, yeah. and well, then I and then I thought I've done that. Now it's still fucking gross, but do you, you want to get over it? Do you want to yeah. talk about um, our European bus driver in the showers? Oh yes, yeah, I was about to bring this up because oh. I want to. I want to set this up that you, when you're on the road, especially eight, sometimes ten people to a bus, 
there's no privacy. You just have no, like, there's no personal space. Your only personal space is in your bunk and then sometimes at the toilet or if you get to have a shower. And these European runs, it was all arenas, so they're all locker room showers. And you that's your only time. So we'd have, like, a schedule where, okay, I'm going to go have a shower one person at a time. It's like your five, ten minutes of the day that you get to yourself. You just want to have a fucking shower and not have to look or talk or, you know, like, be around anyone else. And uh, Gulas, you can okay, take it so from here. Do we need to set up Bjorn, though? Yeah. I, Bjorn is a, yeah, okay. I, I think we may have talked about Bjorn. He was a Swedish rollerblading, <laughs> DJing bus driver. EDM music listening to. Yep. Yeah. yeah. He was some sort of SNL character of what, it was like if Mike Myers played a Swedish person. And he was, he was. He yeah, was he was very similar to like an Austin Powers character. Right, exactly, yeah. Um, so Bjorn, very positive, sort of high energy, always bobbing his head up and down, <laughs> like beautiful blonde hair. But, you know, his he like raced motorcycles. Like mm-hmm. he did, remember he kept doing detours so he could take, like look at racetracks when well, they were yeah, like not that. even on the... The only person that was happy about that was Matt because Matt wanted to ride his bicycle. So he got to ride his bicycle on like Formula One tracks because Bjorn would show up at like four in the morning at a Formula One track in the middle of Poland or wherever. Yeah. But he was a funny guy. You know, we had Tony, who's like the nicest human being that I had, you know, and then there's like an older man. Yeah. That, yeah. Um, yeah. You mean to go from Tony, who, who's, uh, who's we've driven a lot with in the States. Saint, who's like, Saint Tony. Yeah. We call him Saint Tony. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Angel so, Tony. It's and then Saint you go Anthony's day right. today. So we land in Ireland, right? The guy picks us up. Uh, it's like the first, that's the first spot. Uh, and everyone's being super nice. Obviously, you want to be on his good side. You yeah. know, this guy that you know you're going to be with. So, And then he gets, you know, we're nice. And then he gets too comfortable immediately, right? Mm-hmm. He's drinking all the booze. He's eating our snacks. <laughs> he's, be, he's just like, you know, he's like in our space and a little bit annoying. Yeah. And uh, I'm gonna, can we do the accent? I think uh, a sw- Scandinavian is the one accent that you can still do without getting in trouble, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Nobody cares. Yeah, no, no show. <laughs> a little bit. Oh, yeah, I don't show. even, yours is not a Scandinavian accent. Yours, but show. in my mind, yeah. when I think of Bjorn saying something, I speak in my mind in your, the way oh, you... Oh, hey, guys. Like, <laughs> yeah. oh, oh, you guys, oh, I saw you left all this uh, booze in the kitchen, so I drank it. Right, <laughs> like, yeah. it's basically like that's... Yeah, he's like your accent is nothing, nothing like his accent, but it captures the essence of who he was. I remember you had brought a bottle of whiskey or something like that, and we parked the bus in Ireland. This is like two days, two days in. He parks the fucking bus, and it's like seven in the morning. Goes, gets the whiskey, and he goes, "Don't mind if I do." <laughs> this is our driver drinking hard liquor. Yeah. Yeah. Wait. So, so you know, like. He let me drive the bus once, and then, <laughs> and then I told Mo, and he said, "Do not fucking tell the guys because they will be so freaking pissed at you that Wait, you even did it." He would let you drive the fucking in a bus? big parking lot. He let uh, me drive like a hundred feet. On it? No. Oh. Uh. <laughs> but even still, that's fucking crazy. Yeah. Um, wait. So, so the get, shower. So yeah, get it's to fast. The, get to the shower. You know, basically to set it up again. Okay, you. so we're, I'm in the shower. I'm in like a soccer, you know, soccer stadium sh- shower. Uh, it's by, by, I'm by myself. It's like a hundred shower, showers. <laughs> it's a hundred showers. Yes, <laughs> exactly. It's like the, you know, it's the commercial where there's a million urinals and the guy like, yeah, sta- yeah. you know, yeah. does the same thing, you know, um, and he's like, Hey, uh, <laughs> you know, he's like so close to me, you know, and I'm turned away from him and he goes, Hey, 
Do you, uh, did you ever see the commercial? And he starts describing a freaking Swedish commercial that I've definitely never seen. It's in this Swedish language for a Swedish product. Right. Hey, have you ever seen the commercial where the guy is wearing a, like a suit on the top and then below he's naked? And then he keeps pointing at his like uh, at his feet, feet crotch. Yeah. I don't even remember the story. Okay, I, 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 I you do remember? remember yeah, I do remember this. He, and it's 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 worse than you're remembering because it was a Swedish commercial about soap, okay. and the whole commercial was basically like a rape joke about you know shower dropping soap and all that. So he thinks it's funny to describe this commercial to you in a fucking shower. <laughs> And he's naked, looking at you and saying, pointing at his feet, saying all, all the commercial showed was the bottom of people's feet under the shower doors. Like, they didn't show anything other than feet, and the whole, only the feet told the story. So he's pointing at his feet, and you, he's trying to get you to acknowledge the whole thing two inches away from you when he's fucking naked. Like, oh, yeah, because I couldn't look at his feet without looking at his crotch. Right, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. of course. That's yeah. the problem. Yeah. So you, are you, that was the first time that on tour I think someone really lost it on someone else because that it wasn't that that made you lose it it was finally I got like mad at him. everything you know built up to this point where he yeah. touched your he moved your shit or something like that on the bus like he kept on moving people's stuff and like you left it in your place you know where it is that's where you're leaving it. and then he would move it and like not put it back and I just remember you fucking losing it on him saying Bjorn don't touch my fucking stuff and you're like fucking <laughs> lost it on him I, I lost I it with it him also there everybody a bunch I'm, of people yeah. lost with him my lost it because we'd be sitting up in the front lounge and I'd look over and he's like reading while he's driving. Like it wasn't like, not, it wasn't a novel, but he was looking over like notes for the next day. And I was like, I, yeah, I, then I, I actually lost him. I was like, you're fucking driving us around. Stop reading. Yeah. I, I bet you all drivers do their notes while they, I know, but do it at least when I'm not looking at yeah, you. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> no, he was, he was next level. I think, um, my when, favorite when you're, sorry, go ahead. when your life is in someone's hands and we, you know, we took a, a ferry from Tallinn to Stockholm or vice versa. And it's like 17 hours and it's fine for the band and the crew to party or whatever, but he's supposed to sleep and then drive you to the next city because it's, it's the law and it's also not safe. And he comes in and fucking DJs and drinks and parties for 17 hours. Oh, yeah, he, he was the he, last he, person he to go He took over for the DJ. Yeah. And it, I, I fucking loved watching that because the DJ didn't know how to handle him. The DJ was like, he he goes up to the DJ and he goes, oh, so you use Serato or what do you use? Track, or, you know, <laughs> what kind of board you got? And the, so they start talking and the, the, the DJ is like, oh, this guy likes to DJ. And he goes, oh, let me try some stuff. He gets up there and he doesn't fucking leave the DJ booth for literally hours. And the guy didn't even know, he didn't know how to handle this, this customer who had taken that over bo- his DJ booth. We don't have to get really into it, but that boat was like a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, well, let's weird. talk about the the F boat as they called it because that was the, f- the first. Boat. That was the first. Yeah. No, I was going to get to that. The first uh, European tour that we did on a bus is also we were supporting. Everyone was partying. Uh, and it's also why it's not that heavily covered in bus calls because everyone was partying, <laughs> including you. And like all the footage was just of us either at a bar or at a club or whatever you know it was not story driving footage it was just party footage yeah or like mocking the weird 1990s like eastern european (laughs) cabaret show yeah Uh, so we get on the nearly got us killed on that that's what i was gonna say yeah yeah okay so i sat in a guy's chair to order a beer or you know he taps me on the shoulder and goes, you're sitting in my chair. And I go, yeah, but I'm ordering a beer. Like, hold your horses, bro. <laughs> and then he goes, no, get out of my chair. And then I was like, he was wearing a blazer. And I was like, 
guy in the blazer, you know, something, dead man something. De- yeah, I kept saying dead man walking. <laughs> I'm pretty sure there were neo-Nazis. Yes. That's the part you didn't realize. That's what yeah. I didn't realize. Yeah. And then luckily we befriended two insane MMA fighters. Yeah. And yeah. Let me describe this. because protected us, I think. Right? It, it's a nightclub <laughs> on a boat. And people specifically take this boat to go party when they travel from Estonia to Sweden. And they go buy liquor in Estonia because it's, it's, it's cheaper than uh, Stockholm or whatever. We were there and pretty much nobody was on the boat. It was like empty night at the club, you know. There's a guy in a blue blazer at the bar who thinks you're encroaching on his space. He was entirely irrational. He was just like, he was looking for shit. And you say, dead man walking. For, for an hour you were walking by him and every time you would walk by you'd say, Dead man walking. <laughs> you were so out of it. First, second of all, leading up to this, you had bought liquor at the store and stolen Matt's water bottles. You drink. <laughs> you, Matt had left two water bottles by his bed so that he could have something to drink when he came back because he knew that he was going to be drunk. So he's like, I'm going to leave water here. And so you, you drank all of his water and filled it with vodka. <laughs> and you put the two plastic bottles of vodka in your camera bag. <laughs> And you are walking around pouring your own shots for us <laughs> around the whole boat, you know, at karaoke, everywhere. And dried also anchovies. Anchovies, yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. You were eating anchovies out of your camera bag. I could smell, honestly, you walked in a hundred yards away and you were eating anchovies. And I, could, I was like, what the fuck is that smell? And then it turns out that it's you carrying the smell around the entire gut. At one point, Matt came to us. He's like, yeah, I'm dancing with these babes. And I was like, take a shot and then chase it with the same trophy. And he ate it. He's like, wait, but I have to go back to the girl. Why did I just eat this anchovy? It smelled like a fish farm. They were the most powerful, disgusting smelling anchovies I've ever smelled. So we're all walking around getting drunk on water bottle vodka. And, it, was, uh, it was good. It was Stoli Platinum, though. Uh, it was Russian Standard. Russian yeah, Standard Platinum, yeah. yes. Thank you. Um, so finally, we learned that the guy in the blue blazer is friends with a skinhead, as in a literal skinhead. The guy had you know, a gold grill and a bunch of fucking freaky tattoos and a shaved head, and he was an Estonian criminal, which we only learned from the Estonian fighters we met who happened to like us. I, that was... I was, for once, the responsible one in this situation. And I, was, I felt like I was sticking around so Gulas didn't get thrown off a boat. <laughs> well, I was sticking around watching both of you, like as the yeah. older brother. And I wanted to go to bed, like, for three hours. But I was like, I should probably hang out and see what's going on. Yes. Because Nick kept, like, egging on this dude who was clearly a fucking yeah, criminal. Yeah, you didn't realize the blue blazer guy and, the, and the, the skinhead were compadres. So we're talking to the Estonian fighters, and they're, they're getting drunk before they have to fight the next day. We're like, don't you have, don't, aren't you worried about this? And they're like, no, we'll just go to the sauna and we'll sort it out. They go, you're going to get brain damage, dude. You're going to have a fuck, you're going to be dehydrated and get punched <laughs> in the head. But anyway, they, luckily they liked us and they kept saying, don't worry about the skinhead. He's just an Estonian criminal. <laughs> so then we end up at three in the morning on the, on the outside of this boat. Looking, pitch looking at pitch black. black, looking into fog. Yes. It's, craziest it's scene. us, a skinhead and <laughs> Estonian fighters on the outside of a boat and I'm only there because I have some sense of responsibility that Nick is going to be killed by strangers. <laughs> and the Estonians come over to us, or the fighters, and they say, they say to, to us, oh, that guy wants to throw you off the boat. <laughs> <laughs> the, the skinhead literally said, why don't we just throw these guys off the boat? <laughs> Into the ocean. 
<laughs> the Baltic Sea. It was the Baltic Sea. It was cold. Yeah, we would have froze to death immediately. In, instantly, yeah. yes. <laughs> in the middle of the Baltic. Yeah. And that was uh, that was when I was like, all right, Gulis, let's just call, let's yeah. let's let's get the fuck out of here. This we were we were, and then and then the craziest thing is the guy in the blazer as we were leaving, like later he was like passed out, <laughs> like in a stairwell. Right. And I was like, should I kick him in the face <laughs> right before I go to bed? And then. <laughs> but to be fair, I think I saved your guys' lives like a few times, probably. From problems you created? <laughs> or, no, or, just like, keep, just keeping an eye on stuff, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you did, uh, you did warn us about certain, you know, certain of the countries we were in, you know, you were, you were kind of more aware because you'd spent time there, you know, some, some of those countries you'd spent time there and you were more aware of the pitfalls, you know, and the dodgy parts of town and stuff like that. Oh so. yeah. Like trap, you know, different traps that they set yeah, up. Little scams yeah. and the stuff. funny thing though, is that's, that's what's weird about Europe is you do always find a lot more kind of petty crime that you have to be more aware of when you're a tourist and pickpockets and that kind of thing. But you never feel the same kind of like there's just neighborhoods in America like when we've played certain uh, festivals or that and that like we, you don't even consider just walking out anywhere or then obviously South America and South Africa is a different story but like mm. Europe never feels that threatening mm. ever I, it might just be obliviousness I'm yeah. sure no it's not just that I mean sure there are we probably are oblivious to some of the neighborhoods but I mean there's like there's, an absolute there's, fraction of violent crime yeah. compared to America. Europe saves it all up, and then they let all their violence out in a world war every so often. <laughs> yeah, I love I love when Germany talks about how violent Americans are. <laughs> really, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, back to tour things, right? Like tour life. Is that what we're talking? <laughs> yeah, tour life. Hashtag. Well, I, we talk about those days, kind of. You know is a bittersweet thing, you know, the glory days of touring because our responsibility was so much less. We, you know, we were just, we had this idea of what tour life was because we had a hit song. We were getting all these offers, support slots, things were going great and it's only going up, you know? And I'm kind of glad in retrospect, just for the sake of Vascal, that things did go down because it made for a much better documentary series. But it was like this hazy period where we all kind of just vaguely remember it you know you remember the feelings that you had you remember you have specific memories but every show just kind of went by in a blur and it was weird and yeah. but at the same time we got so many good memories out of it we we you know had fun and then we came back and started doing headline tours and cranking the next album and that's when the real work began you know because we didn't have time to fucking party as much and you can go ask any of the guys <laughs> you know who toured with us subsequently when you had left and gone and do other stuff it wasn't the same. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, yeah, the workload was double or triple. Um, yeah, and you can only do that for so long. Yeah, it is sort of a haze, but at the same time, like if I looked at a schedule, I could probably remember a few things from like every yeah weird yeah. Canadian show or let me ask you a question. Yeah. Cool places or something. It's kind of related to that tour, but you can withstand very high heat in a sauna. I've noticed because there mm. were a bunch of saunas at the arenas that we were at. And I remember we went in. And it was fucking hot, and you came in like, ah, it's not even working. This sauna properly, like, is that you grew up doing? I had a sauna a in my basement. My yeah. dad built a sauna in our basement uh, from when the I was five years like, old till I was eighteen. Yeah. So yeah. So explain. Jump in the so ice bath and you jump in the snow. Right. Yeah. yeah. Explain your heritage. 
Okay, so my parents are both from Kiev, Ukraine. Um, my uh, father was born in uh, Azerbaijan because he was born uh, at the tail end of World War II. His family had fled there, um, and then they returned. Uh, he was like a, a journalist. Um, he had won basically like the Pulitzer Prize as like a 16-year-old <laughs> and was like this sort of uh, young literary celebrity, but then got in trouble for things that he was writing and had like a week to leave the Soviet Union. They said like, if you're not gone in a week, um, yeah, you're, you you're getting arrested. Was, was he writing kind of poems for a newspaper? They, they wrote a poem right. that like looked just like, you know, uh, socialist propaganda. But if you like uh, only read the last word of every sentence, it was like, this motherfucker eats shit. Or, you know, not, yeah, yeah. not specifically. It was like way more clever than that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. And then somebody, you know, found out and then he got in a lot of trouble. So they, um, you know, borrowed money from people who they could. They, they paid off. Uh, with a group of other people, these Czechoslovakian, uh, tr like a train conductor. And he let all these people go into a train car. Um, and then uh, the train was being shot at by like soldiers as they were crossing the border. And then they kicked everybody out um, as soon as they crossed the border. And then they basically had to like hitchhike and they got to Italy. And then since uh, at the time, the political climate in Italy for whatever reason, they wanted my dad to be like a spokesperson to show people why communism was bad because he had right. just left. They wanted him to be like a public defector. Yes, exactly. So they basically bought, like rented them a house for like three months and they lived there for three months while they got their paperwork together to move to New York. Parents moved to New York in 1979 uh, with my five-year-old sister and my mom pregnant with my brother. They spent the next 10 years living in New York um, my dad was in publishing and, uh, translating. And then they moved to Chicago where I was born, grew up in Chicago, uh, always spoke Russian at home. And my mom is a teacher. So always learned a lot about history, traveling literature from my dad. Did they speak and any other languages? Me? No, did they? They, yeah, my dad, I think, uh, he's fluent in Ukrainian. Um, you know, he, he probably speaks like 20 words and like 10 languages probably. Mm -hmm. um, he, so uh, I mean, you're fluent in Russian. You're actually more than fluent. You're basically native in Russian. Yes, but I have an accent. So everybody there's like, what mountain range is this like hillbilly <laughs> from? Uh, they're like, where are you from? And I'm like, what won't get me beat up, right? Florida. So what do you say? What do you say when... They ask where you're from. I mean, it's different. Some like one time I tried to lie to a guy and it didn't work. He just kept act, asking more and more follow-up questions. Um, <laughs> but usually I just say, you know, from the United States and then deal with the consequences. Hmm. Um, uh, I mean, yeah. So that's your par your parents escaped Soviet Russia. Yeah, that's crazy. And you didn't? You, do you mind talking about your grandfather? Like the story that I told you? Yeah. Oh, um, sure. Um, so my grandmother became pregnant with my father, um, and then like a few weeks later met the man that she married. So she didn't tell him cause he went to world fight in world war two, like a month after that. So she met this awesome guy. They fell in love. 
hung out for a month, got married, then he went off to World War II, and then my dad was born, and he never, her husband never found out that it wasn't his son. I mean, he was injured a lot in World War II, and um, so he wasn't even thinking about the timeline being a month or two off. Um, and his last name was actually, uh, my real grandfather's last name was Gala Pupin. G-A-L-A Pupin. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, yeah. So my grandmother only told my dad after hmm. her husband passed away. No, no, no I, I, I'm sorry. I, this is not what I meant. Oh, I meant the, okay. um, the other one, my mom's dad. Oh, right, yes. So he was uh, in the Navy right. and had um, busted soldiers, I think, like stealing or like raping some, like a villager or someone. So reported them. And what they did is they, to get back, uh, f- like hid a Bible in his bag and then reported him. And then, that, and then he got like a 20-year sentence in the gulags. Mm. And um, later when my mom was in her early 20s, she was riding a train with someone for a very long time and they were chatting. And... Um, she found out that that man had, was in the gulag with her father, you know, like 30 years before. She had never met him. So he died before, um, you know. You know uh, yeah, she was old enough to. Yeah. Um, but they uh, sent them to go, you know, the gulag, you're three, 400 miles away from civilization. Um, there's a lot of great books. One I would recommend is One Day in the Life of Ivan Denisovich Shukov. It's uh, maybe 100 pages long. It's just like a one-day description of, you know, wearing paper shoes and eating, like, moldy black bread and, you know, busting up yeah, rocks. Uh, isn't Solzhenitsyn, uh, uh, right? Solzhenitsyn, yeah. We're kind of exposing. Yeah, and then, yeah, he's got a 100-page book and then, like, this, uh, like, a 4,000-page so, book. So let me just clarify. So your mom's dad, um, they, those, those guys hid a Bible in his bag and reported him. Yes. And he went to the gulag for having a Bible yeah. for 20 years. And you're saying he died before your so mom? So they would, yeah. So my mom never met him because he, uh, you know, like was on leave or something when he, you know, conceived my mom okay. and then went back to the Jeez. military. But um, so they would take these guys out into the woods and just leave them there all day the guards would because there's nowhere to run. So they just leave them, bring them in the morning, come back at night, you know, and they're just chopping trees all day. The guards got drunk and never came back. So they all froze to death. And that one guy that she met was like uh, bunk, like in his bunk with him. So he like remembers the guy, Jeez. you know, Jeez. told her the story. So she actually like, what are the chances of actually finding out that information, you know, mm. it's like one in a million that she would actually find out. That's crazy. But, this um, is like what they call the Road of Bones in Siberia, right? It was built by prisoners in yeah. the gulags. It was called the Road of Bones, you know, because, the, you know, or as legend would have it, there were so many people that just died mm-hmm. and were kind of buried into the road just, yeah. through Siberia. Exactly. Um, there's, what's that movie that we always saw? It's a Peter Weir movie. The Long called, Road Back or The Way Back. The Way Back. The Way yeah, Back. Yeah. That is a, a really excellent movie and just, kind of portrays the horror of that s- uh, situation. Mm. Yeah. Well, I mean, that Russian history is so... Inter- every country's got uh, st- stuff like that, but it's so extended and so long. There's decades and decades where this was going on. It's yeah. Just, it's just I, th- I think also that... I, I mean, I could just be imagining this, but the, the tradition of literature is 
so heavy in Russia, you know. I mean, everything's written about. Even it seems more so, or maybe that's just what's popular. That's yeah. what I thought was so crazy, uh, interesting about Russia was that that you know Moscow and even Saint Petersburg, all the streets are built for tanks, like America. All the roads are wide enough to carry a tank, and everything's designed for the military, and everything's stark stone stuff. And all the dudes have had compulsory military service, and then there's statues of poets everywhere. It's this huge dichotomy where they've got this literary intellectual side that they're super interested in and alongside this very militaristic kind of oppressive thing. Russians are a much nerdier culture than I think people give them credit for. Everyone's imagining soldiers, guys in tracksuits, smoking cigarettes and stuff, but there's also a bunch of guys wearing brown vests and pants like slaving away doing math things to build better weapons and you know um <laughs> right. no, well, look, yeah the artist the artistic and musical and literary history of Russia is massive yeah i mean like you wouldn't have any 20th century music without russia in it yeah you know? and if pain and from pain comes art right like yeah, that's got to be that's got to be one of the largest factors there because especially at that time in the early 1900s there is just an explosion of art and literature and music and stuff coming out of Russia. That was something we felt, you know, in the three or four days that we spent in Russia was what a, an analogous society it is in many ways to America. Like Danny, what you're saying about America's also got that big dichotomy. Like it, everyone thinks of this imperialistic, militaristic state, but then you also have most of 21st century is American culture like artistic mm-hmm. film and television and music and m- everything being spread by America so it's it's these two mm-hmm. empires that have always been battled against each other mm-hmm. like historically and even now with current mm-hmm. shit that's going on they and yet you go similar, there yeah. and it actually felt the same like they, they f- I felt like I was talking to Americans it, weirdly in their attitude of like they have the same kind of arrogance Americans have, like, fuck the rest of Europe. Like, we don't care. The same way Americans are arrogant about the rest of the world. Because they're like, well, we're the number one or number two, depending on, you know, what side you're looking at from. But, like, they're a superpower. Like, America's a superpower, and they act accordingly. And Brazil felt similar also, because Brazil in South America is the big boy on the block. And they all have this similar kind of, like, we're the top dogs. Yeah, I I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just a subconscious thing that filters into people's attitudes. But there was definitely a, a uh, an unusual confidence in the average Russian. Yeah, I, well, I mean, I wasn't even saying arrogance in a bad way. I just meant like more, yeah, confidence. Perhaps a better yeah. word. It, and also, uh, we, I think we all noticed the kind of matter of factness about Eastern Europe in general. Uh, maybe you can confirm my uh, beliefs. But <laughs> when we arrived in a in a Poland. Or wait, fuck! Were you, I don't think you were with us. No, you were. We arrived in Poland and um, we went to the to get some dinner, and we started uh, helping the guy uh, arrange the tables to make a longer table. And the guy goes, "Please stop doing this. This is my job. Why, why are you doing my job?" And he said it, he was entirely serious. He's like, "Why?" And I realized, oh, we're just kind of being these kind of semi-helpful people. We're not really trying to be helpful. We just don't want to be seen as not being helpful. <laughs> and it was this weird consideration when he was he was just cut to the point where he's just like, what are you fucking doing? It's, I'm doing this. You go sit over there and wait, and then the table will be ready. <laughs> yeah. What's the 
thing. Who was talking about this recently about how much we smile here in the West? Unnecessarily. Uh, it, was in, it was in the, that episode of the Romanovs, which you should watch. You probably mm. like that. Uh, it's uh, when they're in Russia and she says to them, and please stop smiling. You look like a mental patient. <laughs> You know, yeah. you just stop smiling so much. Yeah, yeah I've noticed, I think I said this on one of the previous podcasts. I've been looking for apartments, and every time I go meet, it's like this really douchey, like real estate person, like overselling the house. And I went to go look at a condo that this Russian American, or I guess he's Russian, but he's been in America for a long time, was selling it. And he was describing the apartment to me, and he was just like, "This is the bathroom, this is the kitchen, these are." Double pane window. There was like zero emotion. Yeah. As there shouldn't, there shouldn't be emotion. I mean, un, there wasn't unnecessary affectation. I mean, every yeah. everybody likes novelty. I bet, I'm sure if people from Eastern Europe come to America, they'll like American mannerisms or they'll like whatever. Uh, I did note when we were standing in line, it was uh, to get into Ukraine um, at the airport. I've never seen a more pushy line in my life of people trying to get their bags through the thing. Yeah. <laughs> they were just like forcing. You were just, you're, you're, they're breathing down your necks. You're just forcing you. And there were people trying to cut all the lines and, and get the little bins so they could get through the metal detector quicker. And this old woman, uh, older woman, she was probably 50-something, cut the line. And as, I was, as she was doing that, I was taking my jacket off. And she was, pulling, she was trying to take a bin that I was meant to get. And she comes up behind me, and she's like kind of running behind me, and I'm taking my jacket off. And I elbowed her in the face really hard, obviously unintentionally. I fucking elbowed this old woman right in the face. And she just kind of shook her head and moved on. Nothing was said. <laughs> Nobody compl- it was clearly an accident. And it, it was just an entirely different experience for me when the, there was a, a really elbowed a woman harder than I've ever elbowed anybody. <laughs> and she just didn't react. It was very, very strange. Well, to switch gears from <laughs> Russia, because I was thinking about this earlier, but I, it's, there's no like, there's no segue to go from all this stuff into. Uh, are you still doing your YouTube taste buds? Your taste oh, buds, guys. <laughs> okay, <clears throat> yeah, you can Google uh, taste buds with a Z. Um, this is maybe my favorite thing that you've done. Yeah, yeah if you're trying to Google it, Google taste buds with a Z, two words. Then my last name Morgulis. Then um, octopus foam, because <laughs> that's the name of one episode, or maybe go to Nick Morgul's YouTube. But long story short, Taste Buds is uh, released eight episodes. It's a short form uh, web series. It's about two Brooklyn hipsters who love the idea of food. They love eating brunch. They love looking at Instagram. They love Bobby Flay, you know. But they're hobbyists. They don't actually know how to cook food. So just like we could appreciate motorcycles, we can't build a motorcycle, they can't actually cook food. So each episode starts in what's out there, them uh, talking about things that have inspired them, they meeting sailors, talking about seafood, and then they think of this elaborate dish that they're going to prepare. So for you know, um, you know, deep fried sardines topped with uh, goose caviar and papaya flambe. You know, some, some weird combinations and preparation styles. And then montage of them buying products, montage of them quickly cooking, and then they serve black beans every time. <laughs> Refried black beans. So 
That's a fun little they thing. They grab the black beans with their bare hands and they put it on a they bed squish of it. Yeah. yeah. They squish it. Yeah. I, you, I think every, we'll put a link on our uh, on the podcast page but to this, but it's, it's one it's, of the funniest It's just things. edited really well. You know, uh, I like the sound effects. The Foley is great. Yes. Yeah. So, I think it's it's hard to, to describe it, but it's it's kind of musical in the comedy. You know, it's it's so choppy and it's done. It. You guys, uh, what's the other guy's name? Jude Flannelly. Yeah. You guys have this good rhythm together. Yes, I think um, my favorite episode is the one where you're depressed. Yeah, I like that one too. Uh, <laughs> oh, wait, wait, Liv, yeah. the other thing, do you still have um, Isis Cry Up? Yeah. I think it's, uh, <laughs> is that what it's called? Uh, yeah, yeah, Isis Cry. If you Google Nick Morgulis Isis Cry, I think you'll find I, it. Like I, my, I, oh, d- uh, plural eyes, Isis Cry. Isis Cry, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, the idea was a Russian pop star comes to the United States he writes a song in English to try to relate to you know his new fans, um, but really this was a song a real musician named Sergei Zhukov released an album one song in English like doesn't really speak English like the lyrics are tears in your eyes don't wanna make me cries uh, your mother is still separate us I feel like a baby helpless. <laughs> so we record well, my freshman year of college we made like this music video where I'm on the beach like clutching my chest and doing Macarena with these two girls that had no idea what they were doing <laughs> like why they were doing this and then yeah just a fun it, video it's, yeah we'll so you you, it, yeah. you made a music video for this and uh, you used the actual song and mimed it all and it, it, yeah. it was, I remember you showed us on the bus and we were all killing ourselves laughing and then I couldn't find it on YouTube but now it's up there again yeah I think I reposted it but uh, back to Taste Buds, this great company in New York named ProMedia, there's like a, like a post facility, they funded a pilot episode of Taste Buds. We filmed a 20-minute episode uh, that is being edited, and then we're going to shop it around in January. Um, awesome. I, I, you explained the kind of premise to me. I thought, is Taste Buds in the pilot, you guys are going to go around reviewing restaurants, right? Yes, and now, yeah, the pilot, we actually go to different restaurants, so we go to this... This one restaurant, we're like cooking with the chef in the back. I can show you guys after this. Yeah, yeah. Um, then we go to Central Park with like a urban forager, <laughs> um, and like we like, you know, sort of get sick of all of his like him trying to teach us stuff and go off on our own and eat like lake snails and and like get <laughs> sick and eat mushrooms and stuff. So is it a is it doc- documentary style? Or yeah, it's it- like high maintenance, but like with a host, I guess. Mm. I don't know. Uh, what's high maintenance? I mean, it's an HBO show about a weed delivery guy. Oh, Just okay. the, the visually how it's filmed okay, would look yeah. like high maintenance. Yeah, I no, mean, what I, I mean like, is, are you, so are the characters? Is everyone aware of the camera? Or yes, is it a, yes, yes. We're talking to the camera. Okay. We're talking to the camera. Where we want to become right, like right. So, and, food celebrities. And then the participation from the actual restaurants. Are they fully in on it? Are they partially in on it? Are they? Um, it's like who am I thinking of? Um, Who's the guy that really f- awesome show? Nathan for you. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. They know that they're in on the joke, but they play it straight. Okay. Yeah, you know. Okay. Well, that one where he sets up the antique shop. Have you seen that one? Yes. And he gets the br- the guy drunk. Yeah. That, that <laughs> yes. <laughs> going, yeah. Everything is teetering on the edge, so he can <laughs> drop it. Yeah, yeah, he yeah, puts it at the back of the antique. That that guy, I don't think he was in on it. Maybe not that guy. Yeah, yeah. But it was. Too weird and too funny. Yeah. yeah. But it was, you know, it was really, I'll show you guys, but it's like where the guy like brings us like this casserole dish of like buffalo chicken 
And we're like, oh, this is, oh, no forks? Is this Ethiopian food? And they were like feeding each other <laughs> with their fingers. I, I like and this because yeah. food shows are so popular and they keep making them and they're all kind of similar. More pretentious. They don't have it more and more. Like Chef's Table. Yeah. Some, I like some of those episodes, but it's some of the most pretentious shit I've ever seen. Well, they don't have a sense of humor, which you know it's not actually like that in the chef right. world. Yeah. Like chefs, are, like everyone else, they fucking probably make dick jokes Edit all in day one long. Joke. And it, yeah. Yeah. Edit in one joke. You might like the show called... Um, like salt, fat, acid, something. This lady travels the world oh, yeah, looking at like the yeah. oranges, origins of flavors. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, is it uh, good? I keep seeing it on I my. I watched Netflix. half an episode. It was cool, but I didn't like. I wasn't like in love with it. Mm. Yeah. Okay. But taste buds, we're gonna I like be shopping. A, it. I like a, a good delicious. I think I like that's that gonna guy. hit. Yeah, taste gonna buds. hit. Yeah, yeah, I would watch taste buds. I would yeah. like because you get to you get to watch a food show and you don't have to watch a food show. It's like you yeah, can have your cake and eat it too. Yeah. Um, I've got. Um, Another show, a kids' science show that I'm, I've developed. I feel like kids don't know how the world works anymore. No one knows that a cell phone is a computer. Like I, I want to do a really funny comedic show that also Education. you learn about the world where parents and kids can watch it together. Mm-hmm. Teach kids about the Earth being flat. It is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so we have like probably 15 minutes left because Joey has to uh, leave. But you, you said you wanted to do deep. Cuts and hot takes. Deep cuts, hot takes. Deep cuts, hot takes. Yeah, I feel Did like this is any? this is an opportunity to you know. One thing I noticed about you guys is uh, your dad's like very intelligent. It's like a philosopher, That's yogi, something about our dad. yogi sort of guy, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I feel like when he might listen to this, so tone it down a bit. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, I'm hoping to get a Christmas present. <laughs> <laughs> I live at. No, but, um, um, no, so I'm assuming that like when you guys had like. Oh, I got pimples or something. He's like, son, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to pretend. He's going to give you like this elaborate answer, you know, that like probably helped you oh, deal um, with like little shit in the future. So I feel like by being on tour with you guys, the way you guys approached different sort of problems or me, you know, I, I like sort of like a stream of consciousness stuff sometimes. And, uh, you know, you guys would put certain thoughts that I have in perspective. It's like, oh, I guess, you know, that's another way of thinking about it. So I thought that maybe since we're all in a room, so many wild things going on in this world, so tumultuous, we're not going to talk about politics necessarily, but the world is advancing so fast since uh, we've talked, so many technological advancements have happened. Maybe it's an opportunity for us to sort of just reflect on 2018 before it ends and why it's interesting, mm. why it's scary, what the future holds. Yeah, I think that uh, I, if 2018 is funny because people thought 2017 was the end of what they thought was craziness. Was it because of a lot of celebrities died or something? Well, I mean, celebrities are just going to keep dying because there's so many of them. Yeah. They, they, well, I mean, celebrity, I'm aware of thousands of celebrities. It's always the wrong ones, though. <laughs> so is your question... Um, Oh, I guess How what are you guys are interested in? Oh, maybe <laughs> just some things you guys are like well, interested I mean, I, in at the moment. You, you, you probably have this over um, romanticized vision of our dad and how he talked to us. It was, you know, because if you meet our dad and he, yeah, he is like that. He's kind of uh, philosophical, philosophical, and yeah. that kind of thing. But it's not like we were twelve. And we're going to go skateboarding, and then he told us about some. No, some do you know what it is? Because a lot of people say this when they meet our dad, particularly our contemporaries. Like, they're still kids to him. You know, you're always, you always feel much younger than people are from the generation before you. 
And I think what it was is he never, because I've had friends say the same thing to, to me about having met my dad, that he's like this weird sage, which I think he is. You know, he has, obviously for us he's been. But I think it's because he doesn't talk down to younger people as if, they wouldn't be interested in any particular deeper subject or like getting to the root of something. And a lot of parents create this weird artificial gap between generations by talking down to kids and presuming that they wouldn't be interested in this, that, or the other. Mm. And they skip over that. And he never did that. Obviously, you're not a kid, but he, like it's, it's the same way he interacts with us and you and our age group as to he will with, you know, if he meets a seven-year-old kid that comes there, he immediately kind of gets into... Uh, his deeper thoughts on matters and like just assumes, Oh, the kid's going to keep up and they do because kids are fucking smart. Yeah. And then don't have yeah, to be I've seen that happen to. a number of times where in, in, you know, when you're, when we were younger, you were kind of embarrassed by your parents naturally or whatever. And you're seeing the, and it takes getting older to realize, Oh, uh, this is just an involuntary feeling that I have toward my parents, regardless of whether they're being embarrassing or not, because he would talk to friends or whatever about, stuff and he would get into maybe deeper or whatever subjects and what i've finally realized oh people are desperate to talk about something real especially mm. with somebody older yeah because you know, they're they're deprived of that they're to- they're deprived entirely of talking about anything approaching a real emotional matter with somebody who's older yeah they basically talk shit or they the roles that they play, you know, they basically... So, it's an, so the parents in general basically underestimate, or not just parents, adults in general, they underestimate what a younger person might be interested in. Um, I think that's more prevalent here in this country than anywhere else I we've lived, you know. Because uh, in South Africa, at least, the, the generation gap was much smaller. People of all generations talked and mixed and, and could talk about stuff. Um, so I, I think that is interesting that you point that out and I don't know. I mean, like it's only your, so much like small talk. Parents? I met your dad. He seems Oh, really same thing. My dad's like a yeah, philosopher, a, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. journalist and a poet, right? Yeah. So he, like, yeah, great, he, great advice. I think like thousands of people reach out to him all the time for advice. Hmm. He's like, uh, he communicates with thousands of people like, at a time, hmm. hundreds maybe. But I mean, I was just, a, I was just guessing why you guys at least seemed emotionally mature or would talk about certain topics. Have you seen episode eight of Bus Call? <laughs> uh, I saw the trailer for it. You guys are cussing at each other. Yes. But um, yeah, well, f- f- real quick, uh, before we go into deep cuts, hot takes, um, I got really, really sick in London right before we took the channel or the, or the ferry or something. It was the sickest I've ever been in my life. And I was like, nobody really knows. I remember I like, I was stuck in my thing for, you know, my bed for so long, just like hoping that someone would come find me because I couldn't get up. When was this? Uh, when we left London, uh, Mark was on the bus. Your parents oh, were there. We, we, oh, we went to yeah, Paris. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And I remember I was on the bottom bunk. I remember rolling out because I heard Mark. And I go, Mark, help me. And he was like, what the fuck? Like, he's like the worst person to... Get. <laughs> I was like, I need water. I think you were the first person to get that. Yes, and that then I was super was, sick yeah, in Belgium. Yeah. Like the next five days, sick. Yeah. I was very sick. But that day, early, I remember I saw a bunch of seed like uh, game discs, like on the table, and for some reason I was like, oh cool, uh, the Congos' parents bought us video games. 
<laughs> it was freaking Bjorn who bought the video games. Okay. <laughs> so cue us playing his freaking game, Gran Turismo, forever. Mm-hmm. And then he'd be like, hey, did you guys, like, spend my money? Or, you know, did you guys buy anything in the game? Like, yeah, dude, we bought a bunch of cars and stuff. And the whole time I'm thinking, that's our game. Why the frick is Bjorn playing our game? <laughs> and then literally the last day, right before we got off. I never knew Bjorn brought the game. Yeah, it was his game. Yeah. We just thought it, like, came with yeah. it, right? Maybe so I wonder if he tells stories about us, this fucking dickish dick band and yeah. crew. Oh. <laughs> but, um, oh, and then a funny story I was going to ask you guys about like fame and just funny interactions. Danny told me a funny story where you guys played a show maybe in Arizona. So everybody in the crowd was like friends and, you know, people that, you know, you needed to catch up with. It was like the right thing to do to like mingle and make sure if someone wanted to talk to you that they got a chance to. Mm -hmm. And then you turn towards these other guys that didn't know you guys had played a concert. (laughs) And you were like, Oh, you like started chatting them up thinking that they wanted to talk to you and they thought that you were like hitting on them. (laughs) (laughs) I was in full autopilot because yeah, if you, when, when we play shows in Phoenix, there's, you know, there's 50 people on the list and the friends and you just talk nonstop and you feel obliged to talk and all that stuff. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened is like, I struck up a conversation as though they were waiting to talk to me. I've done this twice. Once with a picture where I put my arm around somebody thinking they, because they asked me to take a picture and they're outside the, sh- outside the venue and they go, hey, will you take a picture? And I fucking go, yeah, sh- sure. And I put my arm around them and they're like, no, no, just take a picture of us. <laughs> and then I've done oh, that man. where I was like, I, got, I, I just in that you feel re- you said because you felt really cool for a second and then you not a, you don't feel cool. cool you're just in auto oh I mean, you're just in autopilot mode it's honestly it's not feeling cool it's it's you feel like what I would imagine you feel a fraction of what like a politician feels which is that you have to say be nice and say I guess yeah. it's not that you felt cool it's when you realized they didn't know who you were and didn't want to talk to you you felt uncool I thought it was yes. That's generally you feel uncool. This I remember that one. It was so funny because what I did, I started talking to them and they, they I realized they had no idea what I was talking about, and I just said never mind and walked away. <laughs> I gave up on it in the middle of the thing. I didn't even try to explain that I was confused. I just I just bounced. Is there funny other funny things like that? Like um. um Shit, I'm sure there I mean, are. The, the reverse of that is not being able to get into your own show, which has happened multiple times. No wristband or ticket. Yeah, yeah. And then it you, is the, it is sort of that the autopilot thing is kind of um, a factor because it's like when you go to a movie, you buy a ticket, and they say enjoy the show, and you go you too, you know, mm-hmm. and they're like, no, I'm just a cashier, you know. <laughs> it's that kind of thing that happens a lot in those I situations. I still fuck up handshakes and hugs with almost without fail. You know, with somebody saying hello or goodbye, I, it must be something where I just automatically oh. do the opposite. When a European person tries to kiss you on the cheek, that freaking throws me <laughs> off guard. I'm, one time I kissed a lady on the lips on accident. <laughs> like I literally kissed like uh, this lady, yeah, like my mom's friend on the lips. <laughs> also because they do it, they do, they start with different directions. Yeah, like, I went left cultures, cheek, she went right cheek. Yeah, different yeah. cultures do like, like two that was freaking or weird. three yeah. or one or five or start One time I right. slept with my mom's friend by mistake. <laughs> Yeah, it's called, yeah. <laughs> All right, so deep cuts, deep takes. I don't what know, but like deep what? Deep cuts and hot, what? Deep cuts, hot, hot takes. takes. Like What's the what? hot takes part of it? I don't understand that. A hot take would be, you know, you have MTV like. Oh, news. like what's your take on Yeah, like a hot take on a news story. Like, well, um, you know, AI is interesting. 
Elon Musk. I think people make fun of him a lot, but mm. he. I read something. He's like the only person on the planet, not the only person, but like one of the few people on the planet with the means to do it that is looking into the future. He's like future-proofing certain yeah. industries mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, as we've seen that um, the governments of the world are not really looking it into the future. That's why... I think what's unusual yeah. about him, it's not that he's the only person doing it, it's that usually people doing that, there are lots of them, are in the context of a corporation. They're not a single individual. Yeah. You know, and he's this kind of spearhead single. There's another guy, Biglow, the guy who made uh, all his money from uh, those from motels. He's a multi-billionaire, um, and he made all his money from motels, and he also uh, funds a space program that he sends, you know, NASA employs him as well to wow. build rockets and shit like that. He's another kind of weird person like that who just wants to be invested in the future, well, whatever that, that means. I mean, at that stage, when you have that type of money, what else What else is there to do? You know, like, if if you've got billions of dollars, I feel like there's there's not much left that you can do to try to make more money or try to, you know... There's a few of those weird, interesting... It's not an easy path for him. I mean, I feel like he's, you know, doing things all the time, month to month, that are very risky, right? No, that's what I'm right? saying. I'm not, I mean, it's not, I'm not saying he's apathetic. Uh, clearly, he's not. When you get to that stage, surely there's a void or some um, aspiration you have which nothing else can fulfill. You know, no more amount of money or a new design on a car. Like, I have a feeling like Tesla, uh, the cars are kind of a fun hobby for him. But it's, it's his interesting thing, like the boring company you know he's boring a hole yeah. it's supposed to open this month i think there's first think they just canceled one. Oh, well the first track or whatever is supposed to open soon of a tunnel that's a very fast train that's going to go from like downtown to lax or something like that what's hmm. weird to me about that, him is uh, how divisive he is people seem to either like idolize him or hate him and that's like that's quite an unusual way to treat a stranger you know there was Especially an- someone doing something interesting and you know it's like you're sitting on your couch eating doritos and like you have some fucking opinion about a guy who is changing well, the, the world. There's a kind of deep thought that, I, not a deep thought, but a, a thought that I had recently, and it was in relation to this kind of thing, where people equate a comment that they make, especially online, with actually doing something, you know, or where, where somebody's trying to do, do something. Like having awareness yeah. is a part of the solution? Yeah. The, yeah, like... Like, you know, retweeting something, uh, you know, some problem that's going on. People people do that and they feel good about themselves. And spreading awareness is important. That's with certain issues. But when people so attack people who are trying to do something, um, right or wrong, you know, whether they, they fail or they're doing a good job or maybe they're choosing the wrong path or maybe this is not the solution for the future, you know, maybe it's this vitriol that comes out of people who go and attack. And it's like in their mind attacking that person online in a comment is some just act that they're taking you know and that <laughs> that really bothers me you know i mean not deeply but it's just like i see that and i go like try doing something you know it's much harder to fucking do something in the world than comment on it and i tell you what's harder is talking about other people who comment on other people on a microphone <laughs> and thinking i'm doing something <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Well, no, I've that's it's a something that I've started to notice as well is people love to tell um, celebrities or people in bands or whatever that they should stay out of politics and they should not 
voice their opinions. It's the dumbest fucking thing I've ever heard. It's like every day, all day, there's some halfwit on Facebook posting about politics and talking yeah. about it. And it's though, like, oh, now you've become famous, you have a platform, and you, you should stop talking well, about a, it. A great example of someone who has, has an audience doing the world a favor just by saying things out loud is Yao Ming. Huh. Um, he single hand, yeah, Yao Ming. He single handedly is decimating the shark fin eating hmm. culture oh, no. and uh, about like grinding animal horns yeah. and all that stuff. Like f- since he started doing PSAs about it, yeah. so many more people in China will have refused it's to do that. The most backwards thinking I've ever heard because social change, especially, has been as a result or uh, largely in part to people like Muhammad Ali. You know, he was a boxer. If imagine, imagine telling Muhammad Ali, like, "Hey, stay out of politics." You know, well, like, he did. He was told. I know, but yeah. I'm saying, but imagine, I can imagine, imagine it. agreeing with that. Imagine agreeing right. with the fact. You know, now the the uh, civil rights movement, you know, alters history because of this guy. And you, you're the one on Facebook being like, "Shut the fuck up, Muhammad Ali." You yeah, know? I, well, I thought the, the the the. Did you listen to Rob McElhenney or whatever? The guy from Always Sunny, the creative Always Sunny, was on Dax Shepard podcast and they're talking about this exact thing and i thought he had a good take on it which is basically he understands this impulse that certain people have to to tell celebrities shut the fuck up don't you know do your job and don't talk about this or that um and it's this there is a line where you cross if if you're good at something or you have a skill or something and you you achieve a certain amount of fame or following from that and then all of a sudden you 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 switch roles and now you're just out there bitching at people all day long telling them what to do and how bad they are you know there are celebrities who do that (laughs) and in that those respects i'd be like yeah go fucking act in a movie and shut the fuck up you know that's my attitude but what he was saying was that there if you're if your goal is to truly make change or to in, in do something positive, then find the most effective way to do that. And very often for an artist or an actor or you know director or whatever, it's through the art that, that you can make the most change because there you can control the experience that the user has, the emotional experience and the ideas, and they will be emotionally primed to accept new information or accept change or accept something positive. Whereas on Twitter, if you're out there telling people how terrible they are and they should change their opinions on shit most of the time you're actually just fucking pissing people off and not achieving anything. Well, True. Yeah, I mean, uh, a, a good example of that, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't have, I, I guess case by case for me. We <laughs> get something there. That's the, this literally the cue music just came on. <laughs> Should we end the podcast there? Just be played <laughs> off by our own music? <laughs> I, I think I we could do say it. something that I thought was thoughtful and then, was, then that happened. That was all right. Well, are there any last final thoughts that Nick Morgulis, filmmaker, documentary maker, um, would like to add? I feel like we have more to say, so we have to have you back, or maybe we'll do it in New York sure. or something I, like that. I think I'll be back in January to. Um, we'll be on. Have, oh, um, we're, we'll be in New York. Can I? Though. Can I? Can you get me a ticket to the show in New York? Well, fuck. Now we're, we're on air. Where? What do you want us to say? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you. We'll get you a ticket to the show. Wait, in two New York. tickets. Specifically <laughs> people who. Don't ask directly for tickets. Wait, say that again. Or do we have you talked about this? People who, people who just don't—they don't ask for tickets. They—they they talk to you about something else, and they're like, "Oh, hey, I see you have a show." I—I I think we've talked about this before. I have there are people. I have acquaintances where you know, one. Some of them are super direct. They'll literally we might not talk in months, and they'll just text me and say, "Hey, 
uh, any chance of getting tickets to the show? And I'll just say yes or no. And other people who like so obviously go around the houses trying to, you know, how you been? What's going on? What, what are the, what's the price of the tickets there? What's, I mean, I guess I can them? just buy the tickets. Right? No, 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 no. Dude, <laughs> you're I think sleeping on the bus with us for months and months qualifies you for a guest list spot. Like, that's a good thing. To, that's a good lane to take it. You should try not to guilt trip us. <laughs> I think shooting some uh, of the footage for bus call qualifies you for a couple yeah. tickets to okay. New York. I thought you were yeah. making a joke because you said it so specifically and directly. Like, hey, can I have a ticket? <laughs> <laughs> um, All right. Well, listen, Nick Morgulis, thank you so much for joining us here on the Front Lounge. Um, we will catch up again. And thank you for your work on bus call. Oh, thank you. Um, it's It's been a pleasure. So listeners, uh, we didn't mention Patreon this time, but if you are, if you heard the ads and you don't want to hear them, go to our Patreon page. Uh, dot com slash congos and sign up for two dollars a month you can get rid of the ads and see some other cool shit on there that we post once in a while and you can support cold's cracker habit uh, yeah he's running low okay um, l- last thing watch bus call uh check out our new single pay for the weekend buy a ticket to the tour do all that shit come support us so that we can keep yapping into microphones and calling it work and then we will throw up a bunch of links on the um on the site of where you can find Gulas and where you can find yeah. stuff. There'll be a link for Shrek retold that was released last night, 500,000 views in 24 hours. What is that? What is it's this? 200 people from all over the internet, artists from all over the YouTube came together, including me to make a scene by scene remake of the original Shrek film. And it's uh, out now. Oh, wow. That's uh, my cool. great friend, the editor of uh, taste buds, Grant Dufferin, is the orchestrator of all this. So uh, I, I saw I saw uh, bits of it. Basically, they take a chronological Shrek, but then each person gets a, a section of it. Yeah, and everyone... they do their own style. So it's a whole movie of Shrek, but the style changes every, every two minutes. minutes. Right, yep. yeah. So it's like some scene will be animated and another scene will be live yep. action. And, huh. and there's some very great animators, people that work on Adult Swim shows, like people that have very strong followings so what on was YouTube. your part what, what did you uh, I did a live action uh, very cinematic style scene it's the one where Donkey sees that Fiona is actually an ogre at night mm-hmm. it's like a pivotal dramatic emotional I scene I actually forgotten okay, yeah, we'll, th- we'll throw a link up that. to that um, for sure cool thank you so much for having me guys um, you know I think uh, being on tour with you set me up for a lot of great things and um, yeah, just really appreciate all the times. Yeah, good yeah. times. We, Dude, were... we have memories galore. We do, we talk about those days. Like you know, it's. I feel like Colton probably gets annoyed sometimes, or maybe he likes hearing the stories. We just we talk about 2014, 15 so much. And it's also nice to meet Colton. He's got a beautiful <laughs> dog. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> very excitable. Uh, we, need the music, we need the music to play us off again. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we will see you guys uh, next week. Thank Absolutely. you. Cheers. Absolutely.